Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. My name is Kristen Harcourt and I'm your host. I'm an executive coach and professional speaker. And I created this show for anybody who's new to really talk about what it looks like to humanize the workplace, to transform leaders, and talk to CEOs, HR leaders, and experts who really are passionate about what that looks like to improve culture and ultimately help leaders to go on that inward journey so that they can be the best versions of themselves and create that ripple effect within their organizations. And I'm really excited for today's guest because he has a lot to share in this area. We're going to be speaking with Brett Putter. Brett is the founder and CEO of Culture Gene. He's the author of two books, Culture Decks Decoded and Own Your Culture. And Brett is a leading expert on startup and high growth company culture. Welcome to the show, Brett. Kristen, great to be on. Thanks very much for having me. And this is a global audience and a global show. So I'm, I'm right now in Toronto, Canada, and I'm speaking to Brett, who is currently in Portugal. So we're all experiencing different things in the world. Some things actually we're noticing, experiencing together in some ways. Uh, but Brett, I'd, I'd love to start off by getting a little bit more insight on your journey um, when it comes from your the career perspective, because you've had a really interesting journey. You were in executive search for a while. You've got your own company now. Tell me a little bit around what got you to this place you're at right now. Yeah, so um, I ran an executive search firm uh, out of London uh, for 16 years and, and typically working with, once again, early stage, high growth, venture capital backed companies. Um, and about five years ago now, I was lucky enough to work with three companies almost in a row where the CEOs all had a very clear understanding of their culture. And this is quite rare because I, I didn't normally have these conversations about culture. And actually, I was asked to find candidates with the right skills, the right experience, et cetera, et cetera, the usual stuff. But I was also asked to find candidates that matched the values of the company. And this was a radically different approach. It was a much harder search to do. It took much longer because searching is not easy. That People don't fall off trees uh, into your lap in, in executive search. You've got to go and find them. And um, yeah, the, the, the process was harder. But actually, once it got to the interview stage, that was where the penny dropped for me. The, the, the candidates that were the, a good fit with the values and the hiring managers, the CEOs, those conversations were really different. And it was almost like the sort of metaphor I give is it's like, it was like two people had never met before, but it was as if they'd been dancing tango for 10 years. They, you know, it was just wow. And then, so that part of it really blew me away. And then actually the impact that the candidates, the successful candidates had on those companies really, really, really moved the needle for the companies from a culture perspective, but also from a results perspective. And so I then decided this is the missing link. And I thought it initially was the missing link for startup companies and high growth companies. But I then realized it's just the missing link in, in business generally. Um, and so I decided to make this my life's work. And it's I found my passion. I'm really fortunate. It's it's like I, you know, I, I, I was given a gift and you know, I just love I love talking about, learning about. Um, I love hearing about culture and what people are doing and what people are learning and how people are getting better because this is such a positive impact on companies and the people who work in those companies if you get it right. 
Yes. Yes. And I, I love your background on the um, executive search side, because one of the themes that I saw, I, I've been working in the HR talent management space um, in different capacities, whether that was recruitment or in, in terms of leadership development for the last 15 years. And a trend that I kept on seeing is, is two things. They would say, you, you know, we want to hire high potentials. We want high performers to get the right people for our organization. And I'd say, okay, that's great. One thing you also have to be conscious of are who are going to be those people who are leading those individuals once you hire them, because you're getting individuals who are those high performers. They also have expectations. They want to work for leaders that are going to help them grow, challenge them, innovate, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but I also said, um, and I'm really interested in your take here, um, how are you determining that they're the right people for your organization from a culture fit? And I think that word culture fit is thrown out a lot. And I think you and I share some, some, common, um, some, some common beliefs with this, that it's not necessarily as much about a culture fit, it's more about the values fit. So talk to me about that missing link. Like, what did you notice? Where were organizations struggling when it came to understanding how it's important to find that right person, to get that right fit when it comes to values? So, so most most companies I worked with didn't think about, they didn't think about this, but they did bandy the, the the word or the words or the phrase culture fit around a lot, and so and so I this actually eventually got under my skin because because I couldn't understand what it meant. So I actually I started asking leaders who use this word, what is it what what does it mean to hire for culture fit, and then I got a little bit more specific and I said, okay, describe your culture fit. Describe your culture to me accurately, please. And they couldn't because culture is this very, really big thing. It's invisible, subconscious, intangible. It happens below the surface in most organizations. And it is, you know, they, they haven't defined it. And even if you've defined it, culture still is bigger than that. So if you can't define your culture, how can you hire for the fit against it? It means what culture fit actually means is you're using your gut instinct. You're using intuition. And that's kind of okay if you've been doing this for 30 years and you've you've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people but you still make mistakes because your gut instinct is based on you and your 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 intuition and how you're feeling that day it's 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 very human and it's it's not consistent and it's not you know your feelings hiring somebody on how you feel they will they you will get on with them it's a really poor way to invest in, in, in this asset, this person. And so, you know, I just, when people say they hire for culture fit, I, there's a little part of me dies every time until I fight it back and I say, no, 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 it's impossible. And, and then we go and, and we have this conversation and most people go, okay, then what do I have to do? And this is to your point, uh, Kristen, about values. It's, it's defining those values because your culture changes over time. If you've done a good job with your values, they are consistent over time. They may change a little bit, but they are more consistent. So you have a consistent anchor within which to evaluate candidates against. Yeah. Yes. And so what, what are some of those ways that the, the values are being used? Because I'm sure with some of the stuff that you're doing at Culture Gene, you're helping them to do this, I'm assuming in a more structured way. Because as you were speaking, something else that shows up to me when you think about using your instincts, uh, what can also happen is unconscious bias can start to show up, right? So 
something about that person reminds you of somebody you didn't like before the their mannerisms or even sometimes I remember reading some things where it could actually even be the way that person looks and is dressed can remind mm. you of someone that you didn't like many years ago so now all of a sudden you're thinking they're not the right first person for the job so what are some of those ways you can remove some of that unconscious bias and create that structure so that you're not relying just on the intuition so the what what I do what we do with our, our clients is we basically if we take the values we either help our clients define their values or we take their values and we we go through a process of understanding what those values mean to the to the company and to the individuals so uh, typically we will do a workshop where we have eight to ten people um, and I built some software around this. So I used to do this in person, but over the last year and a half, I built software around it. And so we, we, we run a workshop where everybody's sitting there in front of their computer and I facilitate this processing using the software. But essentially we ask people to describe what does this value mean? To you? And so to, let's say the value of the company is teamwork. Mm. You know, the problem with values is they're open to interpretation. So values on their own are not really good enough. They're also often vague and they, you know, they, 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 they could be mean lots of things to different people. So we take this team and we ask them to define what it means to us as a company. And then we'll shortlist that down to about five behaviors, what we call behaviors. And so you've got your value, let's say teamwork. And in the case of my company, for example, teamwork means one of the things teamwork means to us is the team always comes first. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we create an interview question against that behavior. For example, when last did you take one for the team and why? Mm -hmm. And now we're asking for a specific experience and a specific behavior. And the way the question is asked, it feeds back into the value. Mm -hmm. But it also allows us, because we ask exactly the same question to each candidate, it allows us to evaluate their believability or the vividness of their answer. And by ask, asking that question in that way, you, you are able to, I could spend 15, 20 minutes talking about the answers to that question. You can really go deep into the whys, the impact, their feelings, their learnings, and what they would or wouldn't do again, et cetera, et cetera. You can really dig deep because it is an experience and they exhibited behaviors during that experience. So that's what I, what I call values-based interview questions, where we really dig deep. We take the last five candidates or the last three candidates, and we run them through an hour or an hour and a half interview process just on these six, seven, eight interview questions mm -hmm. and exploring them in a really deep way, but actually retrospectively mm -hmm. explaining what, we do, what, we, what we're doing. So at the end of the interview, we'll actually explain how we did it what we did, their answers, how that related to us and our company, yeah. and what that means to the individual. I love that because it just feels like you're creating, it's less surface and you're going deeper in that interview. And ultimately, when we think about why people stay, why they feel engaged in workplaces, it is so much about those values. Um, it's interesting, as you were saying that, I love that you get um, very clear around, okay, if there's a value of teamwork, what does that mean? And what are the behaviors? When I even think about when I'm working with leaders and helping them find out their core values, 
I could work with three different leaders who all say integrity is a strong value for them, how they would describe and define integrity. It all looks different, right? So it's helping to understand what that value uniquely looks and, and means to them. So, so I love that depth that you're doing there. Um, and it reminds me of the whole saying that I say a lot to, um, to, to hire slow and fire fast, the spending more time up front like this to really get to know who this human is and help mm -hmm. them understand what the organization is really about is going to be much more likely to create that fits. Yeah, I think you, you know, there is this um, uh, area that most leaders don't think enough about, which is the implicit agreement that we make with our, with our uh, new, the new joiners, the people that we hire. The explicit agreement is the contract, the hours you work, your bonus, your salary, where you work, how you work, et cetera, et cetera, very explicit. The implicit agreement is this is how we behave in this company and this is what we respect. This is what you can expect from us. You know, on the one hand, you may have a company that, that deals in music concerts and they're funky and cool and, you know, jeans wearing in the good old days in the office and have a good time and party pretty hard because that is the nature of the business. And on the other hand, you may have a, you know, accounting accountancy firm where it's buttoned up and but that's the way we work. This is, these are some of the indicators. And then during the interview process, if you are more deliberate about the implicit agreement that you have with this person, which really is your culture, then you're able to, to, to come together and go, yeah, I understand that you're a good fit. I understand that you, uh, we, we, our values and your fit are lined up really well. And this is why we're confident that, you know, you will spend time here learning, growing and developing. Um, one of the companies that I really admire is a company called Pollen. Mm -hmm. and, and actually in their, in, their, in their sort of culture description, they say, when you leave us, we want you to be 10 times better than when you joined us. Mm -hmm which is such a powerful thing saying we know you know we know nothing's forever and but we will make you better we will develop you and you will learn and grow wow i mean such a differentiator and so one of the things that I love, Brett, that you did is through you interviewing um, this, it's snowing in Toronto right now. So you might hear snow sound, sounding like an avalanche sometimes coming down the roof. Um, so one of the things that you, uh, you did really well is you got to interview many different leaders and, and really started to see key themes around organizations that have a culture that people are more likely to want to, to work there, to be able to do their best work. And, and I, I love one of the statistics that you shared that you had to interview 500 different leaders to then finally get to 50 leaders who really, really um, spend the time to get clarity around who they are, what their culture is, um, almost feels like the kind of people that they wanna bring in and help to grow and develop. But then nine out of 10 companies aren't doing this. So I'm really curious around of the nine out of 10, the one, the, the other percentage that are doing this, what are some of those themes that you saw with these, um, like you were just talking about the, the previous company, what are some of the themes you were seeing around these cultures you really admired? Yeah, so, so that's, a, that's a great question. The, 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 it's one of the reasons why it took me is I'm not a very good writer is the first reason it took me a long time to write the book. But actually I had to speak to a lot of companies because I would reach out to my network and I'd say, you know, I'm looking to interview people who've got built a strong functional culture. And I built a, a, a questionnaire um, around the layers of culture. So layer one is, you know, values, mission, and vision. 
Layer two is how you how you interview. What are you doing to interview? So uh, stopping the, the bad people coming in. Layer three is how are you building a um, a template for your leaders to live the, and demonstrate the living of the of the values. Layer four is how are you embedding this into your processes. Layer five, how are you embedding it into your functions? What do you do? So so essentially, it was a a, a very you know, as you went into the layers of the onion, so you got more value. And actually most leaders I spoke to, it was just, oh no, we've got values, mission and vision and we hire against culture fit and that's it. Or we're kind of doing perhaps an initiative around employee of the month, but we're not linking that back to our values It's just employee of the month. Um, and so, so that's, where, that's where most of the conversations would end. But actually, when, when, when I spoke to somebody who had got into the third and fourth and fifth layer of, in, of developing their culture, it was, it was beautiful. It was like, you know, the, and, and most of these leaders shared immensely, sort of, there's a guy named Nicholas Desange, who's the ex-CEO of Algolia. He just hired in a, a lady to replace him quite recently. And Nicholas, Nicholas, you know, Nicholas gave me three hours of his time you know, he's running a multi-million multi dollar business, probably billion value now and 750 people. But he said, I really like to share this. I want to share the, these examples with you. And so Nicholas gave me one of the examples. Um, you know, they, they always wanted to be an inclusive company from, from day one. They were very deliberate about their values and deliberate about embedding their values. And he realized a year and maybe two years ago now that actually, that he, yes, they were kind of inclusive, but really their diversity was very poor. Mm. So, so you know, if, if, if you're stating certain things and you're not delivering on them, what he did is he actually took, built a recruitment team that was an outbound recruitment team that could only recruit people from, di from diverse backgrounds. Yeah. And he took his engineering team from 5% diversity to 11% diversity, and, they, and they're going to take it from 11 to 16%, and then 16 to 21, as they grow by hundreds of people every year. So, so it's a, um, it, it, the, you know, that example of a leader realizing, um, uh, another, another good, really good example um, is a guy named Martin Ruhrink from Gideon. Um, very transparent company and um, transparency was one of the key elements, you know, full transparency on the numbers, et cetera, et cetera. But he was actually asked, and it was a, it was an honest question. It wasn't, there wasn't anything, there was no real malice behind the question, but one of his employees asked him, Martin, what do you and the leadership team talk about at the Monday morning meetings? And Martin said, we talk about this and this and this and da, 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 da. And then he actually thought, hold on, we're a transparent company. That shouldn't, that question shouldn't have to be asked. So he went back to the employee and said, would you like to come and sit in on our leadership team meetings wow. for the next six months? And then after that, we can let some, six, somebody else do it for six months. The only thing I'd like you to do is to summarize what we're saying and to, and to present that to the company in written form or at, at, our, at our. And so all of a sudden you see how somebody, the leaders were aware when I interview them, they talk, they talk me through their failures. They talk me through their mistakes because their mistakes are learning examples to build a stronger culture. Mm. And that's what I found. These leaders are very, very giving and very sharing in, in their knowledge and information because they've probably learned on the shoulders of other giants and they, 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 they want people to build great businesses. 
Wow. So many wonderful things with, with, with what you just shared there, Brett. First, it's, it reminds me of what I say all the time. It's one thing to talk about your values. It's another thing to live and breathe your values. And so to me, one of the things that that requires is sometimes getting out of ego and just recognizing, okay, someone is, has brought something to my attention and I'm recognizing, oh, wow. Like, so it's taking that step back, pausing and recognizing, oh, this is an opportunity here. And, but unless you're coming from that place of openness and curiosity and really willing to listen, I think there's so many of these missed opportunities, right? So with both of those cases, somebody brought them, brought it to their attention. Listen, you're talking about that we're about diversity and inclusion, but when we look at the numbers, when we look at the metrics, that's not actually supporting that. But then there was an openness around actually doing something about it. Exactly. So there is that, there is that um, realization that if they don't do something about it, they're actually going against their, 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 um, the, the, what I call um, the embedding mechanisms. So, so there are only six ways to embed culture. Culture is this very difficult thing, um, intangible thing, but actually embedding it is really simple. It's, it's what, how you reward and recognize, what you measure and pay attention to, how you hire, fire and promote, how you train and mentor your people, where you invest and allocate your resources and how you behave in crisis situations. So if you use this quick example, a CEO says, you know, customer support is really critical to us. It's really important. And the team go, okay, great, it's really important. But the leader doesn't measure anything, doesn't pay attention to customer support, doesn't hire good people for customer support, will, will, will sort of sweep a crisis situation under the carpet and does not invest in training and, and, and development. The, their behavior demonstrates what they what what was really important to them so if martin had continued to keep people out of the leadership team meeting mm. it would have created doubt it would have created frustration it would have created distrust and the smart leaders know that yes and the ego thing is so critical uh, your, your point about ego is so critical i've i've i found that the 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 the, the, the leaders with that 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 have strong cultures have their ego in check. Absolutely have the ego in check. It's, it's a consistent pattern I've seen over, this is going to be my fourth, 40th episode of inspirational leadership. And that's the theme that comes up over and over and over again. When I ask the question around those companies that are really, really creating um, positive cultures. And when the leaders are modeling the behaviors, the number one piece is they recognize that they're not perfect. Like as a leader, they're going to make stakes and there's always going to be opportunities to pivot and change and continuously grow into who they want to be as an organization. And so uh, this might be part of what's going to come with your next answer, but I'm curious from your perspective, Brett, when you start to see these organizations who are not doing this, because for me, it's like, how do they not get this? Like, why, why am I continuing to have this conversation? Like the information is there, the data to support this. This isn't just a nice to have. This is a, the metric support organizations who do this. It has a huge impact on the ROI of the company. Like this isn't me just putting this out there. I could give case study after case study that shows this. What's getting in the way of organizations implementing this and doing this? It's almost like a frustrated, come on people. <laughs> um, so I think, I think there, are, there are a number of factors that uh, get in the way. Uh, the first one is the leader. 
So I, I, I in my um, in own your culture, I described five leader archetypes. Mm. So the first one is really doesn't care culture agnostic is just going to drive their business the way they're going to drive it. They, they are not interested. It's going to be my way or the highway. Yeah. And those people, there's nothing you can do about them. They sometimes learn when they hit the wall or they have really bad situations, but often they don't. Yeah. The second type is the tick box CEO. So they go and say, I've got the values on the wall in those good old days when we had walls um, and offices and we've printed the, ma the, the mats and the, we printed it on the coffee cups and now I can let it go because I've ticked the box and I can carry on the way it was. The third, the third archetype is the toe in the water CEO. And this CEO understands that culture is important, understands that, that it can make a difference and, and will drive their business ultimately to success or increase their chances of success. But they, they, they work on their values and their mission and the vision, but then they either don't know what to do next or they try something and it falls flat because it's not implemented properly. Mm -hmm. The fourth type is the gets it, operates on it and really just, you know, has a natural affinity, you know, like the, the CEO of Pollen, Callum, or uh, CEO of Skimlinks, a lady named Alethea, just understands how important it is. The a very high emotional intelligence, um, fundamentally high emotional intelligence. And the fifth type is the new type, recently the recently born um didn't realize had to do anything but oh gosh look at look how our culture is changing i don't know what to do about it in this remote or hybrid world and so those that's this they being forced dragged from the the, the sort of uh, culture agnostic ceo dragged kicking and screaming into the new world where if you don't really your culture is degrading every day if you're still relying on the office walls that you had to to be responsible for maintaining your culture. And those, those, and I, I do think this is gonna change. This is gonna change because of uh, this, this generation of, 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 of workers who are coming through the millennial generation. And I think COVID is gonna change. COVID is forcing culture up the stack of priorities rapidly. Yes, I love, love, love those archetypes that you've described. And so my next question for you is going to be perhaps an HR leader is going to be hearing this. It's trying to advocate and get the buy-in and create the business case for the CEO, or maybe there's a CEO right now that's hearing this is kind of getting it. And so we're wanting to move them a little bit more into the, maybe they're at a checkbox exercise. Maybe we're moving them more to putting their foot more in the water and then ultimately trying to get them to that next stage where they're actually um, getting it and living and breathing it and constantly moving in that direction and new iterations of it. What are your tips for some of those ways we can start to help them understand and move them over? Because like you said, the people who are so far on the other side of the spectrum who just are, they don't even believe, they don't care. Um, we don't want to spend mm -hmm. our time and energy there. For some people, you might be listening and just uh, my off, uh, uh, perhaps you don't want to be working there anymore because it's, it's banging your head against a wall. And we can hope maybe at some point there'll be some catalyst or poignant time in their life that will help them understand. But we want to spend our time for the ones who are perhaps even the checkbox exercises because I see this all the time how can we start to move them a little bit on that path to start um, being a little bit more intentional so I I ask um, <clears throat> I ask CEOs what would your board say if you decided to not have a person in you know and to not treat finance as a function for the next six months 
And they say, well, probably get rid of me. And I say, well, that's actually the way you need to look at company culture because company culture is, a, is the missing function in your organization. And you need to think about it as a function. It's not, going to, it's not going to happen overnight, but you need to think about, okay, if this is a function, what do I need to do to start this function moving properly? And so you start with your, the, the basics of your values and your mission and your vision. And then you, you make it your and the company's responsibility to live these values. It's not just you as the leader who's always responsible for this. You've got to push the responsibility down, create a culture squad or a culture committee. Get, you know, if, if you do have a big enough team to have an HR manager, send them on a bunch of courses, get, you know, invest the time and invest the money to get them up to speed on what company culture means and what you can do to turn it into a function. Because if it's not turned into a function, you, 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 you really are not going to manage it in, in a way. And so that's, that's my, is my, my, my recommendation is start to think of this as a critical business function in your organization yeah how would what would you change to turn it into a function yeah i i love when you start to it's the numbers are there to start to understand there's no way with finance you'd say oh okay well just when you get to it it's fine that wouldn't work for anybody <laughs> it's just as important and so when we start to think about this current environment um the last 11 months there have been a lot of changes in the world and how work is happening and, you know, it's funny when I hear people say the, the new version or the new normal, and I don't think it's ever going to be the same as it was before. It's going to be a new iteration as companies evolve. And so what are you noticing? The companies that are doing it well, that are, are supporting employees and, and recognizing what's going on, what are some of those values, attributes you're seeing with the organizations that are getting it right? So the organizations that are getting it right actually did do work on their culture pre-COVID. So they were deliberate and they, they were intentional, which means that the cultural DNA of the organization is in place. They may require some adaptation over time because your culture is changing rapidly in the situation, but that's okay. At least you've got something to adapt to, but you've got that anchor that everybody can remember. These are our values. This is what we stand for. This is what we believe in. And this is why we're doing what we're doing. This is our purpose. And, the, and the, the good leaders are actually talking about values and mission and vision and purpose almost, you know, three or four times more than they did previously, because the office did a good job of echoing certain things. Now there's no office, there's no osmosis. Um, <coughs> excuse me. So I'm noticing that um, the, 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 the companies that did have their culture defined are, they're still struggling, they, they're finding it difficult, but they're having an easier time than the companies that didn't have their, their values defined. What, what's, what's working really well right now is transparency, because if we are transparent, we have nothing to hide. If we have nothing to hide, you can trust me. And if you can trust me, we can work together and we can build a, a long-term relationship, fruitful relationship, because there is nothing to hide. Mm -hmm. so, so transparency, I can see companies now going, okay, how do we increase the transparency? How do we increase the talk about transparency? If you don't do this, you end up with information silos, you, you end up with people not trusting one another, et cetera, et cetera. And, and this is, so this is a, a, a challenging place to be. Um, I'm, my, my big concern is that a lot of leaders are hoping with, they've got their heads deep, deep buried in the sand and hoping that this is all gonna go back to normal. And I'm afraid that cat is out of the bag. That's long gone. 
we will, and actually what I do with, with, with companies that are in this situation is I actually, I actually go through the five stages of grief mm-hmm. with these companies. And I say, okay, now let's get your whole company to write what they liked about, about the, what they personally liked about working in an office. And then let's talk to them about the fact that earth has been obliterated. We're now living on the moon. Everything's different. Yeah. Gravity is different. The way we walk, the way we talk, the way we breathe, what we eat, it's all different. Yes, we may go back from to earth from time to time, but that's not how we're going to live. That's not how we're going to work again. Some people may want to be in the office. That's fine. But you're always going to have remote workers now, unless you are a manufacturing company where everybody has to be in the, manu- in the, in the, in the factory or something. If, you, if your business has anything to do with knowledge workers or a percentage of knowledge workers, they are now thinking, I want to spend more time with my family. I don't want to spend two hours commuting. I, do, I don't want to spend an hour with my head under somebody's armpit in, in you know, the underground. I, want to, I, I would rather just have a, have a giggle with my one-year-old and, and then, you know, maybe go for a walk, 10 minutes, clear my head, and then start working at home. I just think this is the new reality that most leaders are not realizing. And they're not adapting to it because this, this is, this is the, the, the remote work world that we live in. Not everybody will be remote, but some people in most businesses will be remote. And if you don't treat them well, they will end up like second-class citizens and they will leave your business. Yeah. Well, I think one thing that you brought up, several things you brought up that are really important. One is the grief process that we're all actually even experiencing as individuals, right? We're grieving the loss of so many things Mm -hmm. that we, a lot of times just thought it was always going to look like that and came out of nowhere and we didn't. So there's shock. And like you talk about those different, um, those different times we go through and grief doesn't happen in a linear thing either. We can be forward and then backwards and forward and backwards. It's, our emotions go up and down. And, and that's why I think emotional intelligence is such a, a critical piece right now. I've been speaking so much around emotional intelligence and, and mindfulness and what we can and what we can't control over the last 11 months. There's one thing I want to, um, I want to uh, go a little bit deeper into when you talked about the transparency piece, because I have heard this come up with some companies and I, I'd love to get your take on this. I, I've heard some people struggle a little bit when it comes to they might have to let people go. They don't know when they're going to let people go. They're, they're kind of watching to see how things proceed. It depends on, are they going to be able to keep accounts? Are they going to lose accounts? If they do lose accounts, um, they will have to let people go, but they don't know how they should go about communicating that because uh, it feels like they don't have all of the facts yet. And so if they were in a situation and a company that is not sure exactly what things are going to look like in terms of, of layoffs and, and when that might happen and if that might happen. What do you think? Because it might not be full transparency. It might be um, giving them what they can share with them. But what would be some of your recommendations for that when it's a wanting to be transparent, but then also conscious of they don't necessarily know all of the information because it's not available to them yet? Yeah, so you've got to think about two things, and you've obviously got to be very, very considerate about the people who you may let go, um, because this is a difficult time, and there are no, you know, there are no guarantees that people will find jobs, and they've given, you know, they've given a lot to your company invariably over over a period of time. So that's the first the first level of respect that you've got to you've got to deal with. The second level of respect that you've got to deal with is to your the people who will still be in your company. 
And and actually, the reason why you are you are ultimately letting people go because you have to, and because you're and and actually the people that you're not letting go, you want them to stay. You want your business to continue. So if you bring the level of transparency you can bring in a sensitive way, where you know you can you can you can say that you can say to your people, you know. We're we're going to do whatever we can to to retain this client, and we're going to do whatever we can to keep the business going, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but there, are, you know, there are no guarantees here, and we want to we want to respect you all. We want to the people who stay will appreciate that communication as much as the people who will be let go. The people who let who will be let go are not going to be happy. They never will be. It's that's a that's a that's just a fact of of of, of the difficult process of. Of, that that people have to go through, but actually, if if you are respectful and and transparent as transparent as possible, I mean, there's no way you can say, you know, you can you can use this as a threat system, or you can use this as a you know, if we don't win this, then it's there's a subtlety and 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 an amount of respect around this communication. But the more transparent you can be and say, look. You know, this is where the business is. This is what we need to do. I don't have all the answers, but this is what we need to do. So everybody understands this is what we need to do. And, and I can't guarantee anybody anything. I, you know, this, my, my job is to really keep this business going and to keep as many of you as possible in the business. And the more transparent you can be, then the people who are still in the business will fight for you, will, will, will respect that transparency, and will hope you know that that they can help pull the business through this difficult period. Well, and I think with what you're saying too, what, what, what I also emphasize is um, when you're being honest like that, it just also helps them recognize, okay, we the business doesn't know exactly where it's going. So maybe I want to be conscious of doing some networking, touching base with my network, seeing what is out there in the job market, as opposed to like putting their head in the sand, right? And it's 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 difficult. Nobody um, wants to be in that situation, but it, it can feel a little bit different when you're mentally starting to prepare yourself for the, the fact that that might be a possibility and starting to take some action. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Brett, the name of the show is Inspirational Leadership. And for me, that means what does it look like to be a leader who is embodying those behaviors, those values um, that make people excited to go to work, to want to be their best selves, to be able to grow and develop um, and be able to, to really use their gifts and talents. How would you describe inspirational leadership? If you think of those best leaders, the people that you really admire, what are some of those behaviors that they brought to the table? It's really just living, living the values, um, taking, taking tough decisions that might impact the business in the short term, but actually for the longer term, it's, it's, it's the right thing to do. You know, I often see leaders who get an opportunity to make a quick buck um, and that the, the decision that they take is detrimental to the business. Although the company has more cash in the bank, the, you know, over the longer term, it's detrimental to the business. And so the, from an ins the inspirational point for me is when you talk to leaders who just stick to their guns, and which means that I, as, as one of your employees, I just know that you are going to be true to your word. You are going to 
be reliable. You will be that thing that I need, which is the stability in this, in, uh, this completely chaotic um, environment that we're in at the moment. The best leaders are as stable as they can be. Even they're struggling, but they are they're open and honest about that. And they're inspirational because they're saying, you know, I'm I'm struggling. Uh, this is what I'm dealing with. But, you know, we're all dealing with these issues and we're going to stick to our guns. We're going to deliver on our our culture, on the way we do things around here. And we, we will, you know, if anything changes, we will have a conversation about it and it'll be a company-wide conversation. So for me, it's that it's that living the culture, demonstrating it and living it because then everybody in the organization can be inspired. They, 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 they can, they can trust you and trust the environment you're building. Absolutely. And, and so when we think about this, I think sometimes leaders aren't necessarily aware of those times that they're not living and breathing the values because they don't, aren't always aware of their blind spots. So what would you like to see more of in terms of helping to develop leaders so that they continue to grow into um, the best version of themselves as leaders? Um, leaders often don't give people the space and the time to give feedback. Um, and so the ones that the companies that I see that do this really well, where the leader gets, you know, well, that doesn't ask me anything anonymous questions, for example, where anybody can write anything and they, and those, those come through as they are. And the leader asks them, answers them in a half an hour session or a 20 minute or an hour session, those kinds of, that's incredible feedback for the leader. Um, and it's, inc it's incredibly valuable for the leader to realize this is what's going on in my people's heads. This is how they're perceiving me, or this is how they're perceiving the business. And this is how I need to adapt, or this is how I need to grow and develop. So for me, it's feedback. It's, it's about feedback. It's about allowing failure to happen in your, in your organization. It's about learning from failure. It's about creating that loop whereby we did this, we learned from it. This is what we won't do again. And this is how we will get, you know, how we will progress the business. And, I, I'm not perfect. I, as a leader, will fail. Call me out on it. Show me where I went wrong or show, show me where I'm going wrong. Let's have a conversation about it. If I believe this is the right track for the business and the right decision for the business, I will, I will, you know, I will, I will have that conversation with you. Mm. Yeah, I feel like that the, there can be a level of vulnerability to be able to just put it out there and let people to honestly answer and say whatever they want to say unfiltered. And so to me, that's, it feels like they've um, grown some uh, ability to be vulnerable and be with the discomfort, because of course, there's going to be discomfort when somebody's giving you some feedback, but allowing, um, allowing everyone the opportunity to do that. And then also um, the other piece that shows up really strongly for me, as you're saying that, Brett, is it actually creates so much more trust because to be able to ask that and take the feedback and then do something with the feedback is trust. And then also models for those other people, what it looks like for them, because I think the best leaders mm. grow other leaders. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Trust, trust is you know, Google, Google did the, did um, a research study <clears throat> called Project Aristotle, and they spent two years trying to understand what their high-performing teams, what made up, what was it that made up the success of a high-performing team? And it was it, came, it turned out to be psychological safety because if you had psychological safety, you could bring yourself to work, you could be yourself, and you could trust that if you made a mistake, or you could trust that if you were being yourself, that you wouldn't be it wouldn't be held against you in some way. 
And so trust and psychological safety and building that environment is so, so important. Absolutely. Um, as we finish off today's conversation, Brett, I want to give you an opportunity to leave your final thoughts with our audience. Yeah, I, I, thanks very much, Kristen. It's been a, a great conversation. It's been um, refreshing and, and, and very enjoyable. I think to the audience, I would say um, culture is the one sustainable competitive advantage that you as a leader have complete control over. And the sooner you start to take control over that, the better you have the greater chance you have it's not guaranteed but the greater chance you have of, of success and uh, I wish everybody well if um, uh, you know I, I, I spend 25% of my time literally just learning from people and learning what people are doing so um, if anybody wants to reach out and have a chat I'm more more than more than happy and I was going to ask you I'm going to include this in the show notes but where can people learn more about you so people can um, have a look at my website, which is www.culturegene.ai. My email, if, if people want to reach out to me, is brett at culturegene.ai. I'm happy to, happy to chat. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. Um, and yeah, uh, please, don't, please don't hesitate. Thank you so much for being here today, Brett. My pleasure, Kristen. Thank you very much for having me. And for everybody around the world, I'm sending tons of love to you. And please head, up to, head over to the website for other episodes. There's lots of great discussion there. And if you've enjoyed the show, please share with others. Would love a review either on my website, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. I'm on all the major podcast stations. This podcast has really grown organically from people who are passionate about this mission to humanize work and transform leaders. Have a wonderful day, everyone.